We are going to continue on in uh, 2 Timothy. Pastor Bill has been uh, walking us through this, uh, this great book. Just a reminder, and I'm going to read the portion before we look at it together. Just a reminder that this was the final writing of the Apostle Paul. Um, the Bible, as, as most of you know, was, was not necessarily written the way it is compiled in a chronological order. Um, and so as a result of that, actually, 2 Timothy was the last book, at least the last book of the Apostle Paul. And as a result of that, as you read through 2 Timothy, you sense uh, a, a fervency, a sense of urgency as the Apostle Paul is encouraging young Timothy, his disciple, the one who has this aspiration to the pastoral ministry. Paul is encouraging him. He is urging him, knowing that his time is short. In chapter 4 and verse 6, the Apostle Paul will say that he is already being poured out as a drink offering. And so there is a, a great uh, intensity to this book, a great sense of urgency and trust that uh, we could be reminded of that as, as Paul now gives to Timothy a tremendous sense of responsibility to be faithful to the Word of God. And so I'm going to read actually from verse 12 to the end of the chapter just so it gives us a little bit of uh, momentum in our portion for this morning. Indeed, writes Paul, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. If you remember from last week, Pastor Bill's sermon dealt with the fact that, that Paul and his team of missionaries uh, proved themselves to be examples of character and conduct for Timothy. And so he says, all who desire to live godly lives, in contrast to the first portion of first of Second Timothy chapter 3, where there were a number of uh, characteristics of the false teachers, the imposters, the deceivers. So as he invites Timothy to be a fellow sufferer with him for the gospel, he reminds him that all who desire to live godly lives will suffer uh, for their service. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture, speaking again of those sacred writings, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work.
So the Apostle Paul distinguishes the work of the false teachers, calling them imposters, those who were deceived and who were being deceived. They were deceivers as well. And as a result of that, and in contrast to that, the Apostle Paul reminds Timothy in verse 14, but in contrast to the imposters who were deceived and who were deceiving, in contrast, as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. The contrast in verse 13 of the false teachers was to go on. That's the way Paul described them. They were leaving the basics and went on, as Paul said, from bad to worse. It's interesting, he addresses this same theme in chapter 4 and verse 4, and he says concerning the false teachers, they turn away from listening to the truth and wander off. They go on. They wander off. But you, Timothy, says Paul in his writings, stand firm, continue in, remain, stay, abide, maintain. And he encourages Timothy to stay in the word. You don't begin with the word and graduate, Timothy, onto other and higher and loftier things. You begin in the word. You stay in the word. And now from verse 14 through the end of the chapter, the Apostle Paul actually gives six reasons to Timothy as to why he should continue. And I'm going to move very quickly through the first four of these reasons uh, because we want to spend the bulk of our time on verses 16 and 17. So he gives six reasons to Timothy why he should remain in the Scriptures, knowing, he says, from whom you learned it. Knowing from whom you learned it. Reason number one, Timothy, you should stay in the Scripture because of the character, because of the integrity of the people who taught you the truth. Paul and his missionary team, he had just presented to Timothy how he was an example of godly conduct and godly character. But Paul goes on and reminds Timothy, that uh, from childhood, you learned the sacred writings. Back in chapter 1, Paul reminded Timothy that it was his grandmother, Lois, and his mother, Eunice, who weaned young Timothy in the Scriptures. And so now the Apostle Paul says, you learned these Scriptures from people of character, from people of faith. The quality of the witness is a critical point, says the Apostle Paul. Now, I'm not going to spend too much time on this, but other than to say, since Pastor Bill would probably never say this, I'll say it in his behalf. 
I would encourage you to be more faithful to the teachings of your pastor than to what you could find on the internet. So many of God's people, they'll come to their pastor or to their elders for counsel. They'll not like what they hear, and so they go online, and if they look hard enough and search long enough, they will find someone to authenticate the way that they want to go, and that will sometimes be the way that they decide to go. That will be the basis of their decision. Paul says, what do you know about the character of those people online? It's your pastor and elders who will stand before the Lord upon a future day and will give an account for the watch care of your soul. And so the book of Hebrews reminds us to make it easier for your pastor by being faithful to his leadership. Knowing from whom you learned it, the quality and character of the witness. Secondly, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. Continue on, Timothy, in the word of God, because from childhood you have been equated, you have been acquainted with the teachings of the word of God. Now that would be for Timothy, the teachings primarily of the Old Testament. There is some um, New Testament uh, equivalency to Scripture. Uh, For example, Paul says in 1 Timothy, he quotes two passages, one from the Old Testament and one from the words of Jesus and calls them both Scripture. So we could kind of see the New Testament as well, but primarily he is referring to the Old Testament. You have been acquainted with the sacred writings, so stay in them. The sacred or holy writings, so don't leave them, Timothy. The Word of God is holy because its author is holy. Thirdly, And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation. Stay in the word, Timothy. Why? Because it gives you wisdom regarding salvation, which you are able to understand salvation and be wise. That word, able that Paul uses here is the word dunamis. It's the word that is translated for us from uh, into English as dynamite or dynamo, that constant source of energy. And so the word of God is powerful. It is able to make you wise for salvation. Timothy, stay in the word because the scripture has the power to change your life. Do you believe that? And that's why it's so important for we as the people of God here at Revolve Church to stay in the Scripture, to remain in the Scripture, to abide in the Scripture, that the Word of God might richly dwell within us so that we might live lives that truly reflect 
the character of our Lord Jesus Christ. The scriptures impart wisdom for salvation. Wisdom is that ability to take the things you know and put them into shoe leather. It's practical knowledge. The opposite of wisdom is foolishness or folly. The psalmist said the testimonies of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. So stay in the scriptures, Timothy. Stay in the scriptures, Revolve Church, because they have the power to give you wisdom for salvation. Fourthly, Paul indicates exactly how that wisdom manifests itself as far as salvation, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. That answers the question, how do the scriptures make you wise for salvation? The word of God gives you specific instruction concerning salvation and the means of that salvation the apostle says, is through Jesus Christ. Timothy, that which you have been taught from the very beginning, from your early days as a child, from the Old Testament, it's all about Jesus. Alfred Edersheim, the Hebrew scholar in his classic book, The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah, points out that there are 459 Old Testament prophecies that relate to the coming of Jesus or to his time. You read the Old Testament, Timothy. It's what grandmom and, and your mother taught you. It's all about Jesus. That's why if you if you ever leave this church family or you relocate and you're looking for a church and, and you speak to those who are leaders and they tell you, well, we don't, we don't teach much or preach much here in the Old Testament, if at all. We're just New Testament only. Run, don't walk from that community. Because the beauty of the Word of God is that there is a unity and a continuity and it points to the person of Jesus. Timothy, Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that you have been taught. And so it gives you the power of salvation. It gives you the wisdom of salvation through Jesus. Fifthly, stay in the scriptures, Timothy. Don't move on. Don't graduate to higher and loftier things. Stay in the scripture. Why? Because fifthly, in verse 16, all Scripture is breathed out by God. Now that word breathed out, and we'll touch on that in just a moment, but historically that word has been translated in our English Bible as inspired. Now, how do we get the word inspired from breathed out? Well, it comes to us through Jerome's early translation from about 300 in the Latin. The Latin word is spirated, or a type of p 
possession. It processes itself. So all Scripture is God-spirated out, and from spirated, from the Latin, we get the word inspired. Now, if we wanted to actually be more accurate, it would be translated coming from out, out from God. It should, could be translated expired. But I'm not sure what confidence level we might have if we were reading an expired Bible. So we have inspired. Now, when we hear the word inspired, uh, sometimes what comes to our mind first is the way we use the word inspired. Sometimes we may speak of a sunset being inspiring. Or sometimes we may watch a, a game or a performance and say that was an inspiring performance. Well, the understanding of that definition of inspired is a heightening of one's natural abilities. It's an enhancement of their natural capacities. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about a particular kind of divine influence. When Paul used the word God breathed, it's actually two words. It's theos noustas. Paul basically created a word. If you remember Rocky, when he was interviewed in the meat factory, and he was asked, do other boxers train by beating sides of meat, Rocky? And Rocky's answer, if you remember, he was, uh, no, I think I invented it. Well, Paul invented it. He invented this word. He took a word that was not in his vocabulary, and he created it. This is a first time and only time rendering of this word, God breathed. He took two words, linked them, and made them into one word. Theos, God, and then noustos, often translated as wind or breath or sometimes spirit. And this was the word that God gave to the Apostle Paul to describe the sacred and holy writings. All Scripture is God-breathed. Now, Peter gives us a little bit more information on this process of God giving his word to his creation. Over in 2 Peter chapter 1, when he says that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own origination. Now, usually that origination is translated interpretation, but the more accurate understanding is origination. In other words, Peter is saying no prophecy of Scripture is sourced in the one who actually does the writing. Then he goes on to say, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So Peter indicates that the process of inspiration, which answers the question how God gave his word to us, the 
revelation, the Bible itself, that's the product. How God gave his word to us is the process. And Peter said that the process involves the, the Holy Spirit moving the sacred writers such that what they recorded was given to them by the Holy Spirit without error. Now, this is so critical for us to understand. Paul, here in 2 Timothy 3, gives us a little bit of a different perspective. Whereas Peter's emphasis was on the writers, Paul's emphasis is on the writings. All Scripture, he says, emphasizing the writings, is God-breathed. So, my friends, when we pick up our Word of God to read it, think about it. This book is the sovereign exhalings of a holy God. What a miracle that we have in our Bible. Think about it. There were 40 different authors who wrote our Old and New Testament. They wrote over a period of 1,600 years using three different languages from three different continents. And yet, when you look at it together, it is a beautiful story. It is a singular theme of God's redemptive love for his people through Messiah Jesus. That is a miracle. The continuity and the unity of both Old and New Testament taken, taken together. I had a seminary professor that used to... Uh, share it this way concerning how the relationship of the Old and the New Testament uh, related to one another. He would say that the, uh, the new is in the old contained. The old is in the new explained. The new is in the old concealed. The old is in the new revealed. And there is the beauty and the continuity that we see in this God-breathed Word of God. People in history have literally given their lives, not just for the study of the Word of God, not just for the preeminence of the Word of God over the authority of the Pope, for example, as took place in the Reformation. But when the word of God was translated into the language of the people, back in the year 1415 at the Council of Constance, the Roman Catholic Church made two, well, they made more than two critical decisions, but, but two historically important decisions as relates to the word of God. First, they determined that the Czech priest Jan Hus was a heretic because he wanted the, the, the Bible translated into the language of the people. And Hus was condemned to be burned at the stake because of it. They also made the decision that 
about 40 years before when John Wycliffe translated the Bible from the Latin into Middle English, a version that would be very difficult for us to read today. But when John Wycliffe made that translation into Middle English, he had died about 40 years before in his bed as an older man, but the church determined that he was a heretic. And so they went that to the fact that he was buried in sacred ground, they went to his grave, they exhumed his body, and they uh, burned his bones and threw his ashes in the river so that there could be no accounting as a memorial. This is so that we could have a Bible in our language. Now, let me just pause just for a moment, Revolve. In our brief 11 years as a church family, we have seen multiple blessings of God on our church family. We have, and, and I won't go through because I'm, I'm sure I will forget one or two places, but God has provided so many places for us to worship uh, in, in the uh, tabernacking of, of, of our church lives. And I think we have experienced God's blessing because we have been faithful to the word of God. And that's why Paul says, don't be like those false teachers, uh, deceived and deceiving, who go on, who wander off, but stay, Timothy, remain, abide in the word. Unfortunately, today, brothers and sisters, there are many churches and there are denominations that are more concerned with being woke-centered than word-centered. We rejoice in the fact that this year, so far, 4,200 United Methodist churches have left their denomination because of their departure from the faithfulness of the word. But unfortunately, 80% have remained. And some of those 80% are churches that would consider themselves to be conservative churches who preach the word, and yet they remained, and as I've spoken to, to several of these pastors, they remained because it was too expensive to leave the denomination. It was too costly to give up too much. And so I asked them, what is the price these days? for obedience and faithfulness to God's word that he has preserved for us at the death of some. William Tyndale, about a hundred years after John Wycliffe translated the Bible into English, this time from the Greek and Hebrew, he was a brilliant scholar, spoke fluently eight different languages. He was captured eventually and tied to the stake. And because he was such a brilliant scholar, before his body was burned, he was first choked to death. And linguists today say that no matter what Bible translation we read today, 
from King James to New Living Translation and everything in between, it is at least 70% translated from Tyndale's translation. What people have been willing to do, what people have been willing to give up so that we could have the Word of God. Sixthly, and lastly, knowing from whom you have learned it, Timothy, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred scriptures, which are able, having the power, to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus, God's word is given, breathed out by inspiration, and now sixth, God's word is breathed out and profitable. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Okay, number six, stay in the word, Timothy. Because God's word is profitable. Now, over in 1 Timothy chapter 4, we see the same word that Paul used in verse 8. This is what we read. Paul writes to Timothy, For a while bodily training is of some value, that word value, same word translated profitable, in the New American Standard, it's translated of some profit, okay? For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. And if you jump back to 2 Timothy, our passage here, Paul is saying, and that profitability, that godliness comes from maintaining yourself in the Word of God, staying in the Word, remaining in the Word, keeping in the Word, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So what he says is, look, Timothy, bodily Discipline is good. It has some value. But he said it's limited because it only has to do with this life. The word of God, godliness, Timothy, is of super value because it not only impacts this life, but also the life to come. And that godliness is attained through keeping yourself in the Word of God. And I like the way this whole portion ends, so that we may be equipped for every good work. See, it's not just attending all the Bible classes that we offer so that we might have more Bible knowledge. That's not a bad thing, but it doesn't end there. It ends with equipping us so that we could do every good work. It equips us for deeds. It's what Paul said over in Ephesians chapter 2. 
when he said, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not as a result of works, lest anyone should boast. Clear. But then in verse 10, he said, but you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Do you see the distinction? Paul says you're not saved by good works, but you are saved unto good works. And here he said, stay in the word, Timothy, so that you might be equipped and complete for every good work. See, as we spend time reading and studying and meditating and reflecting on the Bible, we become a better spouse. We become a a, a better boss, a better worker, a better neighbor, a better parent, a better church member. So how does the Bible equip you? Okay, we're, we're in the home stretch here. Just indulge me two more minutes. How does the Bible equip you? Four things are listed, okay? Teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness. Going to tell you, going to tell you what the Bible does, okay? You're walking down the straight and narrow. That's teaching. The Bible teaches. The Bible equips, okay? Uh Uh-oh, something, something's going wrong, okay? You're, You're going off center. You're going off center. Be careful. It reproves you. The Bible teaches, it reproves you, stop, stop, you're getting close to the end of that stage, you're going to get hurt, you're going to ruin everything, that's reproof, the Bible does that, but then it doesn't leave you there, okay, it, wait a minute, it's bringing you back, that's correction, okay, as Jen Psaki would say, I'm circling back, okay, I'm circling back. It corrects me. It gets me back where I need to be. And it trains me in righteousness. It keeps me on the path. That's what the Word of God does. So that it equips us for every good work. Now, I'm going to leave with just two points of application by way of question. First, if 1 Timothy 4.8, which again tells us that godliness, that, that physical discipline is of some value, but godliness is of super value, if that's true, let me ask you and let me ask myself this question. Do I spend as much time caring and tending for my soul as I do my body. Okay, we go to the doctor when we're not feeling well, that's good. We watch what we eat, that's good, has limited value. We go to the gym, that's good. And I'm speaking to myself here because as you look at me this morning, you could tell just by a quick glance, I spend a lot of time in the gym. Paul... Paul says that's good, but it's limited. Do we spend as much time caring for our soul as we do our body? Secondly, and lastly, those of you who are household providers, 
Do you work as hard to provide spiritual nurture for your family as you do to provide material and physical nurture for your family? Do you sign your kids up for every athletic event that comes down the pike? Soccer and karate, and you can go on and on and on. But when it comes to the family church class, there just doesn't seem to be enough time in the week. Now, I know those two questions might uh, be a bit provocative. Some of you might be thinking, preacher, you've left preaching now. You're going to meddling. And maybe I have, but I'm speaking first and foremost to myself. And so, my friends, I would encourage you to dive deeply into the Word of God, for it is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your Word, which is alive. Your word, which is powerful and able to change us, Lord, and to transform us from the inside out. We pray that you would keep us as a church family faithful to your word. And we pray, Lord, that you would keep each of us as disciples in your word. There's nothing that we can graduate and move on to higher or loftier things. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the way, by the power of your spirit, you preserved it for us and translated it for us into a language that we can understand. We rejoice in the fact that we have in our possession the sovereign exhalings of a holy God. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Steve. You know, when we planted Revolve 11 years ago, and we were talking about names, and I had the name Revolve in my brain, and it seemed like a good idea at the time. Um, for like the first six years, people thought we were a cult, I'm pretty sure. But the reason we picked Revolve is because we wanted to, we asked the, the question, what would it look like to plant a church that revolved all of its decisions and its teachings around the Word of God, hearing and obeying the Word of God, as opposed to building on a foundation of a culture or a denomination or, uh, you know, a personality, whatever it might be. And, you know, when Steve was preaching and he was bringing the heat um, about Methodist denomination, um, look, we love, some of you guys probably are Methodists, we love you. Um, but that's a good example of what happens when you want to continue forward and you are valuing your culture over the Word of God. You know, and as I, we need to pray for these denominations because the bottom line is they're not wrestling through LGBTQ. They're wrestling through the authority of the Word. And that's something that was abandoned decades ago. And it's just slowly moving into the various appendages around our nation. And so um, I'm going to pray for churches all over our country that are wrestling with compromise because they're walking away from the word. And then we're going to sing this last song, Build My Life. Father God, Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters. We believe that they are born again. Many of them are born again. Lord, not all of them are. Many are born again, God, but they have compromised. 
Lord, they have compromised your word. They've compromised your holiness. We pray that your Holy Spirit would convict them. We pray that they would value obedience more than retirement plans. They'd value obedience more than their building. They'd value obedience more than their preferences for culture. They'd value obedience more than their friendships. Pray that they would know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God. Lord, may they stand on what is true and not build their house on the shifting sand, but may they build on the solid rock of Jesus. And may they obey him, may we obey him, regardless of the consequences, because it is in Christ and in Christ's word that we have the wisdom for salvation and for life. Let us build on that. Amen.